Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. This Sunday is Mother's Day, and so we are going to be spending the first segment of today's show talking all about movies and moms. I'll be joined by the one and only WNHH host, Babs Rawls-Ivy. Hi, Babs. Uh, To share some (laughs) thoughts on everything from favorite cinematic, cinematic moms to movie picks for Mother's Day to maybe some of our own experiences watching movies with moms. Um... For the second segment of today's show, I'll be joined by New Haven Independent reporter Alan Appel for a review of Their Finest, Lone Sherfig's new World War II-era dramedy about a female screenwriter recruited by the Ministry of Information Film Division to help beef up the women's dialogue in British wartime propaganda pictures. Uh, but first, I'm very happy to welcome back to the show Babs Rawls-Ivy. Babs is the editor of the Inner City News and the host of Love Babs, Love Talk on WNHH Community Radio. Babs, what a pleasure to have you on. Hey, it's so Your nice to be back. Second time this morning. I guess now it's early <laughs> afternoon. Have you back in the studio. Um, so... I thought the a good way to kick off this show um, was to hear, well, we have one mom in the studio, um, but I unfortunately am, well, for what it is, I'm not a mom, <laughs> nor am I a dad, but I do have a mom. And so I, I reached out to my mom and asked her to leave a little audio clip about what she remembers of her mom's favorite movies oh, or favorite movie. So, nice. so we're going to hear a little, bit of, a little bit from my mom, Susan Breen, uh, uh, remembering uh, her mom and her love of movies. And then we'll jump into the conversation with Babs. Okay. My mother loved love stories about people who have to overcome very difficult odds in order to be together. And one of her favorite movies was The Enchanted Cottage from 1945. It's a story about Robert Young, who is supposed to be this disfigured pilot, and he falls in love with a woman who's really ugly, though of course this being Hollywood, she's not actually all that ugly. In fact, she's stunningly beautiful. But the point of it is that they fall in love with each other and they love each other so much that they can only see each other for, they see the best in each other. And it was always just so moving to her and she used to just sit and cry. And there's a point at the end when they see each other for what they really are. And it's sort of, it's shocking to them, but then they love each other so much they go back to seeing each other as they should be. Anyway, my mother was a great romantic, and I think of her when I think of movies. Oh, so that oh. <laughs> that was, oh, that was, that was my mom, Susan Breen, uh, leaving oh, a message about... God. Her mom, Barbara Zeleny, and her love of the 1945 picture, The Enchanted Cottage. I saw a look of recognition. That's on your, a good have you film. seen the I've seen this. I've seen this film several times. So I was, I was looking through YouTube and found a few uh, kind of Turner Classic Movie introductions and a few clips from it. And there, there are a few things that I love about that clip that my mom just loved. And I, I think that could be a good jump off for our own conversation. Um, one is that it's a very uh, specific memory about her own mom and her relationship to both a specific title and also a whole genre of movies. I mean, my mom is a, a writer and a writing teacher, and okay. I think that she really zeroes in on on character. That's something that she really responds to in, in life, in stories. She's able to kind of identify her mom's relationship with this particular movie and kind of 
extrapolate that, yeah, you know, her mom was a, a great romantic, right? Her mom was someone who loved not just a love story, but a story about two people who are able to overcome, you know, in, incredible difficulties and, and the, I don't know, some, you know, shame and discomfort and, uh, and you know, against all odds to, to see the best in one another. And I think that that's something that my mom responds to in the works that she writes and the works that she reads and, and watches. And I wonder if, um, to, to throw a first question your way, Babs, before we talk about any particular um, movies that maybe you think of as, as great cinematic moms, do you have any, um, do you remember what kind of, or do you know what kind of movies your mom was into? Or do you have any, any sense of uh, what she responded <laughs> to? Or if she liked movies at all? <laughs> no, my mother, she liked movies and she liked like war movies. <laughs> Hey, the Enchanted Cottage sounds like it was kind of a war movie, liked, a war um, era movie. Yeah, she liked war movies, you know, like, um, oh, the, uh, oh, God. Uh, anything with um, war kind of, I think because my mother wanted to be in the military. Hmm. And so um, my grandparents just weren't feeling that. Um, but she liked movies that had like wax, you know. And uh, women in uniform. Ah, so there's quite a few movies that I grew up watching with her. None come to my mind. Was so d- <laughs> not just the like the violence and the adventure of it, but something about seeing women in the military yeah. in those positions of authority and accomplishing things yeah. that men have so long told women that they should not be accomplishing. Yeah, was, and she like yeah. you know my mother liked a good, um, you know she liked the big sweeping story like Imitation of Life or you know those kinds of things. Um, so. We Do you remember watched. going to the movies often with your mom growing no, up here in New Haven? I, I never went to the movies. With I went to my mother. I went to the movies with my mother. I had to be in my late. It must have been like a few years before she died. So I was already in my late 40s, right, or something. So, And we went to see um, some Bruce Willis film with some little freakish um sci-fi film uh, i think the yes. fifth element or oh, something yeah. <laughs> i think that's <laughs> i think that's the only movie i i just the only one i recall seeing with her in yeah. the theater yeah no i when i so i reached out to my mom and i asked her if you know she could share some of her favorite movies or memories of her mom and she told me so she sent in that great clip but she also gave me a list of all of the movies that we had seen together you know when growing up and i was thinking back okay i kind of remember seeing these movies together. i sort of remember going to the movies a lot but i think that you know the movies that she associates with um uh kind of being a parent and taking kids to the movies are very different than the ones that i remember as the child kind of going to the movies with with my parents like i, I always i remember the ones that were um kind of uh scandalous if not traumatic in going to see like he got game with my mom oh. and see there being like one very oh. explicit sex scene in yeah. that Spike Lee movie they took you know, to see that well I think that my mom may not have had Yeah, I, I don't think we did a lot of preview watching before we went out to the movie so we saw uh, I remember seeing The Gladiator oh my and, god and, uh, and so you know those are as with you know most kind of moments from a child's childhood you, the things that stick out are ones that were yeah. kind of like shocking yeah. 
yeah. so, um, but I do, you know, I certainly, you know, in my more recent years and my like cinephilia, I remember taking my mom to lots of movies and watching lots of movies in the living room and saying, hey, mom, this is a great movie. You have to kind of watch this right now. So I have more contemporary memories of going to the movies with my mom. But growing up, it was more the the shocking one. <laughs> that, oh, should I be watching this with my mom in the same room? But that's so, that so, your, so mom, funny. your mom was into to, um, to war movies. Do you, I mean, I should say, one, you grew up in New Haven. Yes. You lifelong New Havener. And yes. you are a mom. I am. Two two boys, two girls? Yes. Um, are you into watching movies with your kids? You know, when they were little, I took them to the movies all the time. You know, I mean, you know, you do the Disney loop and you do. I mean, I try to take them to, you know, some foreign things, you know, that they could appreciate, which they never really did. But I took them to the movies. We went to the movies a lot when they were little because... Um, you know, Pixar just blew up. So it was ripe for them, you know, um, uh, generated kind of thing. So we went to the movies a lot. Um, now that they're all teenagers, um, you know, they always want me to go to the movies with them, but the stuff that they want to see, you know, I just, <laughs> you know, I have to say no. I'm like, you know what? You know, I'm not going to go see that. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. I imagine that will change a bit as they get older. Because I certainly, I probably want, wanted to go to a lot of movies that my mom didn't want to go to when I was a, <laughs> when I was a teenager. But now, you know, I'm dragging her out to stuff that I think she is as interested in as as I am. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I imagine as as a mom, the movies fun- have like a number of different functions. They could be a way to, you know being a mom you're kind of constantly on right you're constantly <sighs> parenting and the movies offer like a brief respite from that you get to sit in the dark for yeah. a couple hours and maybe tune out a little and if i'm if i'm off base at any point no, feel free are, to no <laughs> to the, no you are not movies, so movies can be that <laughs> but also i don't know i mean i certainly grew up in a household where um where books were looked towards as like both great forms of entertainment but also ways to instill kind of lessons and understand history and mm-hmm. kind of develop an understanding of morality i don't i don't know if movies function like that in my household growing up i wonder if you ever besides like a, a way to kill a few hours or maybe show your kids something cool did you ever think of movies as a way of um i don't know sharing something more meaningful about life with your kids oh, absolutely i mean there were some films that you know, we just, I mean, we never went, I never took them to see films that were, um, had gratuitous violence or sex. That was out. I don't care if their friends went to see films. And I'm talking about those um, computer generated films too, of violent kind of things. So no, they didn't get to do that. And I tried to find films um, that did have some kind of moral character and moral fiber to it. Because, you know, you always wanted to go away with the, with some kind of message, not just to be totally entertaining. I mean, there was some stuff that was just totally entertaining, like I- any one of those little Disney things. Right. But you know, they always had a, they always had some kind of, you know, uh, trouble, trying to get home, redemption, and then all is well. Do you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, um, I I think that's a, a good transition into talking about some of our our favorite either movie moms or movies about moms. Yeah. And when I, I sent you, I was when I first uh, thought about 
having the show, <laughs> unfortunately, the, the first movie that came to mind was Psycho, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> an in, inappropriate one for because not o- not only is is the mom uh, crazy de- dead <laughs> in the first, she's kind of a corpse hanging out at the top of Anthony Perkins' house, but she's also a uh, a kind of spooky presence that has yeah. um, has taken. Uh, kind of control over the mind of this this serial killer. So prob- Psycho, probably not the best uh, mom movie, but when I sent you an email, if you had any recommendations, you sent me so many great ones, Babs. And so I, I was, as I was watching some clips and some, some of uh, the complete movies of the ones you recommended, I was coming up with like a catalog of all the different types of moms that I see in the movies. Um, and so I've got, I've got a list of like 10 different mom types in movies, but I wonder before we start diving into this list um could you pick one of those movies that you sent to me um as a recommendation that you gave for a great movie about moms uh and tell tell me and the listeners a bit about i don't know why why you liked it you mentioned that i don't know if the joy luck club is the, the one you want to jump club, into first but um by amy tan i read the book and i thought the book was i still love this book right and then i saw the joy luck club and i thought it was so beautifully done the story was so sweeping because, you know, it spans um, China then, China now kind of stuff. Um, and the stories were so rich. And it was mothers trying to give their daughters more opportunity than what they had across the board. Not just work opportunities, but relationship opportunities, you know, and things about valuing your self-worth and knowing who you are. And being proud of who you are, not getting lost in the sea of, you know, whiteness, you know. Um, I just thought it was such a good film. And the struggle between mothers and daughters was very real, you know, very a very real sort of thing. So. That's Yeah, that's that's so it's interesting how in so many of these movies the relationship between mothers and daughters is is central to our understanding of yeah. it. now it's kind of i mean in the definition of motherhood it's you know you're a mother by having being a woman and having children so i understand how that the relationship between a mother and a child is so important to understanding what motherhood means in the movies but yeah i mean i i only watched the first 20 or 30 minutes of the joy Luck club but it was enough for me to to come up with one of my first mom categories which which are the the moms who hold their children to impossible high standards of perfection so that they will have everything that the mother could not have yeah uh, and is um so this is a story about i think there may be three or four different kind yeah. of groups and moms and kids but yeah as you said it's a migration story from china during world war ii era to the united states and the incredible sacrifice that these moms make to give their children opportunities kind of a classic immigration story um but then also the standards that they hold those kids to uh, in this new country. I wonder if is that a um, is that a category of mom that you see often in the movies, or you find particularly true to life this holding kids to very high standards that I don't know a mom wasn't able to achieve in her oh, life. Oh yeah, you know, I mean I, I don't want to say living yes. vicariously, but there's that pressure on no, the kids. No, but you know what? Especially there's, for first generation. There's all those kinds of movies, like um, um, the little movie that was out a couple of years ago. Um, the light. Uh, what was it called? The lights, starlights, bright lights. Um, oh, is that Beyond the Lights? Beyond, Beyond the Lights. Yeah. And same thing. You know, you have a you have a mother who is pushing this child to be successful in the entertainment field. I mean, it's not any different than Gypsy Rose Lee. It's not, (laughs) I mean, if you know the story of Gypsy Rose Lee, you know, that whole stage mother thing 
grew up out of that, right? Because mm-hmm. she was such a, you know, um, Rose was such a, um, Rose the mother was such a force of nature around making this girl a star, you know? And it, it, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was cruel, you know? And I, I think that that's something that movies, and I don't know if movies are uniquely capable of doing, but certainly the Joy Luck Club does so well, is that you see the pressures in like the present day, but then you're also to take a, you're able to take a step back and, and see, see how where the moms there. are coming from, right. right? And that type of, like, I always think about movies as Roger Ebert called them empathy machines, like they're way <laughs> to, to get people to put themselves in the shoes of yeah. other people who they're not, right? And this is one yeah. way, like for mo- this movie about moms, it's one way to understand where your mom might be coming yeah. from, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, and they, <laughs> And every every mom's story is so different, right? And you'll see it, you know, some tragic moms, tragic stories, sacrificing moms before they even got to motherhood. They were sacrificing, right? So, yeah. So if you get a chance to watch that one in full beauty. Joy Luck Club. It's such definitely a recommend it. It's my favorite. A, another one that you recommended that I did get a chance to watch in full is 1983's Terms of Endearment, oh which may God. be one of like the Ur mother movie. I mean, talk about a, a movie piv- that pivots around such a complex mother-daughter relationship. Yeah. It's Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger. And the category that I have from here is moms who feel immense love, codependence, disappointment, and resentment. <laughs> <laughs> that's every mother. <laughs> it's, so that's, actually, that's something I kind of wanted to ask you as, as I go through these, you know, these kind of silly lists. Do you feel like all moms embody like all of these things all I the time? I think at certain yeah. points when they, at certain points of the kids' development, you know, the first time you drop them off at kindergarten or daycare or pre-K, you know, the first time you turn them loose to go to their own party, you know, the first time you send them off to college, you know, and you, you, and you just think, did I, did I prepare them enough? Did I give them enough, you know, to be out there in this big, big world? Because you've been, I've been in the world a long time. So I know a few things and they don't know. So, you know, you just think, ooh. So you want to hold them close, but you want to push them out. And so, yeah. And, and I mean, there's, <laughs> so if the Joy Luck Club does such a great job of taking steps back in time to see where the mom's coming from, I feel like the Terms of Endearment does such a great job of showing these two like parallel storylines of moms and daughters kind of falling in and out of love at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And the way that they look to one another as like pillars of support, right? But also as as kind of competition, right? They don't want one to necessarily be happier than the other, right? <laughs> like if your mom and your kid's happier than you or your kid and your mom's having more sex than you, you're, you're the, you know, there, there's a great scenes where, where Deborah Winger finds out yes. that Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson are, you know, having this wonderful sex and she thinks, one, I don't want to hear about that from my mom. But two, it, it's kind of, it's this goat, it's, you know, this is a woman who um, I think of as like such a curmudgeon. I want to make sure that I'm happier. Yes, <laughs> yes, But yes. One, one line that, so Terms of Endearment has this like very tragic arc, right? And then yeah. it ends up with someone uh, dying from cancer. But it does a great job of showing different generations of moms, like a daughter becoming a mom as well. Yeah. But one line that stuck out with me from the very end of the movie is Deborah Winger talking to her kind of estranged husband, Jeff Dan- played by Jeff Daniels, Remember that character? He's the kind of philandering English professor. And she is kind of on her deathbed and she he's debating whether or not to take the kids or whether to give it to, to her mom. Uh, and she says, taking, you know, raising these kids, just imagine the hardest thing that you'll ever do in your life and then you're going to wish it was that easy most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, is that... Is that yes. a sentiment that you, oh I mean, you are someone who 
I have posts on Facebook quite a lot about both the joys and the the struggles of of parenting. You've you had a, a bunch this morning of yes. of mommy mommy ain't easy. Yes, I think was, was the hashtag. <laughs> but um, do you like is that is that something you look for in either in mom movies or you find particularly true that think of the hardest thing in your life and then you're going to wish it was that easy? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have a kid in college and she's doing very well, and I, you know, and I'm so proud of her. But you know, she was work, in the, you know, coming up, <laughs> and I, we didn't know she was going to make it this far. <laughs> so, 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 uh, delightful surprise. Maybe I should so, add to so, that. So, yes, yeah, so I'm all. So I'm, I'm. You know, every time she, she, she succeeds at something, I'm just thrilled over the moon because uh, there was there was a time <laughs> we like we would have never we would have never put money on that chip. Right. You know, I. Seriously, because she was, you know, she was struggling and she but she found her rhythm and and it's a beautiful thing to see when they step into their life. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the, I mean, watching something like Terms of Endearment uh, remind me of watching the movie Boyhood, which came out a couple years ago, oh, which yeah. is kind of three hours yeah. telling the 18 years in the life of a kid in Texas. And I thought, you know, one reason why movies have such strong, like, emotional impacts on people is that they condense such, like, broad swaths of time into just two hours. So you're watching the whole, like, decades-long relationship between this mom and the daughter, her falling in love, getting sick, dying, you know. It's... um, that is, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot to take, like all just condensed into two hours. But I wonder if that's, you know, a hallmark of a great mom movie. If you're able to take all of the time, because motherhood also is like time, right? There's so much time that goes into being a parent. I wonder if the the best kind of mom movies are able to condense like decades of life into just two hours, but still manage to like capture something that is. Oh yeah, I, know, I mean, I, once you get the true. sense of, once you get the sense of who the characters are. Like in terms of endearment, I mean, you know Shirley MacLaine's character, right? You, you, she's feisty, and she's almost annoyingly feisty. But in the end, that feisty serves her in getting the care for her kid, who is a grown woman at this point. But she steps back into, this is my child, and I need my child to be cared for. Right. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's that big scene where she's screaming yes. at the hospital. My, my daughter needs her shot. It's yes. after 10 o'clock. Why is she in pain? And you're right. That feistiness makes her a great advocate for her. I mean, this is another thing about, you know, showing like all the, the complexities of being a mom. There's some like maybe parts of your personality that make you great at being a certain part of yes. like motherhood and then others that like Shirley MacLaine is not a like sensitive person for most of the movie and she can be quite uh, a kind of emotionally abusive but then when her kid needs like an advocate in the hospital there's no one that you'd want more than like Shirley MacLaine yelling at the doctors to That's it. to give her a shot um, you also put Mildred Pierce on this <laughs> list which is, is a fantastic I love, mom I pick. love this ridiculous uh, it's such a crazy mean film and Joan Crawford was at the height of her career then in this film. This is nineteen forty five, Michael Curtiz, the guy who also directed Casablanca, and it's a kind of a classic film noir of but centered around the femme fatale. I mean, Joan Crawford is 
we we open with her killing her husband, right? So <laughs> the very first scene of the movie is is this guy kind of collapsing in the living room with a bullet hole. And I I'm not sure of all of the different like complications of the plot, but you know he she's she's killing her husband because I think he was stepping out with this is her like second husband. Yeah, he was stepping out with her daughter. With her daughter. The, and she was very protective of the daughter. And she's a spoiled brat. But I mean, we have to recognize that movies are also you know like fanciful, crazy things sometimes. Yes. And Mildred Pierce, I think captures like i don't know if there are any moms who are actually like that but I, I hope <laughs> maybe, not. maybe there are a few right but like we hope not but it kind of what we were talking about earlier that there you know there are moms in movies and in real life who are willing to do anything to protect their kids this is the mom driven yes. to that extreme yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe misguided a little bit because i don't know if she was actually but there's and, that also and, competitive and you can too. see that she raised a horrible daughter right like she just because she gave this kid everything and this kid was not required to do anything while she was scraping by to become successful she didn't want this kid to feel less or lack so she she put this kid in spaces and places that she you know kept her from seeing what her mother was doing how to make a living and so this kid grew up so entitled you know, that she made a mess of her. I think that's another key thing about motherhood that comes through some of the movies that we've been talking about is wanting to maybe compensate for bad decisions with <laughs> worse decisions. Right? And I, I, I mean, I'm wondering, like, do you feel like these are in our conversation thus far? Is this how much of this is specific to motherhood? How much is general to just like being a, a parent um, in that? Are these... I mean, I guess we can only speak to our kind of personal experiences, but um, I, I feel like these are actually quite specifically like motherly concerns. But I don't know. I, um, how how do you feel like these lessons oh, apply I mean, as know, much? To- I, I think all mothers and fathers, at least in my circle of friends, I mean, we walk a fine line um, in terms of, you know, how much do we do for our children versus letting them fend for themselves, you know, and that's a fine line always you know you don't want to do too much where you cripple them and they feel entitled but you also don't want them out there you know wandering in the desert without a clue (laughs) it's a fine line to to walk and kind of an impossible line to walk perfectly i mean maybe the closest to the the closest movie that the movie that i saw that came closest to having a mom who um who kind of satisfied every impossible expectation. I only watched the first 20 minutes of this, but Soul Food. Yeah. In that we have a, she's kind of the grandmotherly figure, but the matron of the house um, is able to kind of bring the whole family together. Yes. Even at a, at the moment of crisis because of one, her cooking, but also she understands each person in the family yeah. so well. She knows what they need at that particular moment. And I think that the movie kind of, I think that she also is struggling with diabetes and I'm not sure what the arc of that character is, but well, she dies. doesn't seem particularly good. Yeah. yeah, she dies in the film. And, and the family and, struggles and they, because of it. And it, you know, everybody, I mean, because she really was the glue, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, you know, and that's, and this is, this was a very black film. Black in the sense that Everybody who was black who seen this film had some relationship to Sunday dinners after church, right? You, you big mama's house or mm-hmm. whoever's house, um, and so everybody understood that. And if you had a big mama, um, she, you know, her rule was the rule, and so you would show up for dinner and be all this cooking and food going on, and and you just showed up, 
So, and what I love so much about the conversations in Soul Food, like in the Mama's Kitchen, is that the conversations aren't restrained. Like they're not censoring themselves when they talk about family members. They're still being like honest and kind of fighting with another, but nothing. It never boils over into like outright contempt, right? You're able to criticize your, you know, your sister for um, being too concerned <laughs> about money or something, or your other sister for marrying someone who just got out of jail. But but there's something about like the unifying presence of the mom there yeah. that nothing's nothing rises above the importance oh, of family big right? mama's not gonna have it right. <laughs> i mean she's just not gonna have it yeah. right and and there's a and there's a respect factor that happens in 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 our families like that you know no one is first of all you you're not gonna carry on in front of big mama you're not gonna come out your mouth about anything that's going to cause her to look at you so there you go the, we're, we're, it's it's 12.30, so we're almost out of time, but I wanted to run through just very quickly some of the other categories of moms that I wrote down. Just And then I want to ask you what you, I mean, as Mother's Day approaches, I don't know if you plan on watching a movie on Mother's Day, but if you could think of like the perfect um, kind of Mother's Day movie recommendation for listeners, either of ones that we've already spoken about or, or any other ones that come to mind. But as you think about that, um, some other categories that we've got are... Uh, so the mom whose openness and understanding keep families together, but whose stubbornness and sudden absence tear families apart. I was kind of thinking that <laughs> the soul food one fits in there. Um, mom manic with love and affection. That's raising Arizona. I don't know if you ever oh, saw that. Yeah. I can't remember this movie. Yes, Holly Hunter's Ed McDonough. Mm-hmm. Oh, this this is a favorite one. Um, expectant mom anxious about uncontrollable bodily transformation and constant pressures of patriarchy. It's Rosemary's Baby. Oh, Lord, Emma. <laughs> I, I, I love sure that one too. Yeah. That's a ro- is that a Roman Polanski? No, yeah, like yeah. Roman Polanski, Roman Polanski and yes. Mia Farrow and where yeah. she has the Baby the of the devil, baby. right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then most recently, a movie called Arrival. I don't know if you saw Arrival no, with Amy Adams, Arrival. but you know, mom struggling with loss of a child. We haven't really spoken about movies where oh, okay. mom has a you know a, a child who died before her, um, and trying to come to terms with that, the kind of fathomless depths of kind of confusion and fear mm-hmm. and uncertainty with losing a child. Um, they're definitely, I mean, so many great movies about moms out there. Um, if you were to give one recommendation for, for listeners for this Mother's Day, would you go with Joy Luck Club or what, what would you pick? I, I, would have to, I would have to say Joy Luck Club first, Soul Food second. Seriously. Yeah. In that order. Because I, I just love the Joy Luck Club so much. And I identified so much with, with those stories more than I did with Soul Food. And those are great stories about kind of being with moms kind of in in the house. I mean, not uh, like they're great adventure stories and Mildred Pierce is like this great murder mystery. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I love something about celebrating Mother's Day by watching, you know, and kind of spending time with your mom, watching like the best, you know, possible versions of, of moms and daughters working through, uh, you know, family issues kind of in the context of the home. Yeah. Um, not that that's where moms need to be, but I feel like it's it seems like an appropriate setting for if you're watching a movie indoors with your mom on Mother's Day. Yeah. It's nice to watch it going well. Maybe not so well <laughs> in the case of Mildred Pierce. But um, thank you so much for coming on the show, thank Baz, you. for chatting about Mother's Day. This. You know, every um, time you call, I'll come. <laughs> I, listeners, I hope you check out some, some of these great movies. And uh, check out, Baz, when when can people listen to you on, on WNHH? You can listen to me every day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. And then twice on Fridays at 10 o'clock. And of course, I hang out on Fridays for pen- pundits. So... I'm on all the time. A lot of opportunities to listen to Babs. <laughs> uh, well, happy Mother's Day, upcoming Mother's Day. And happy Mother's Day to your mom. Uh, thank you. And uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about Their Finest with Alan Appel. But first, let's hear a little bit of Ellison Jackson. Mm-hmm. 
When I'm cold and hungry, would you turn me away? And if I had no money, would you beg me to stay? Welcome back to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On the second segment of the show, I'll be joined by Alan Appel, who's Hi, in the studio. Welcome, Alan. Thank well, you for coming in. Thank you very much. Uh, to talk about Their Finest, a new World War II-era dramedy from director Lone Scherfig, which tells the story of Catherine Cole, played by Gemma Arterton, a British-Welsh secretary who was recruited by the Ministry of Information's film division, to fill a spot in the war-torn screenwriter's department. She's brought in to beef up the women's dialogue, women's dialogue in British wartime propaganda pictures, which her higher-ups fear have become dull, laughable, and out of touch with a home front worn down by the daily deprivations of the London Woods. Uh, after winning the begrudging respect of her sharp-tongued male peers, Katrine finds herself working on a movie about two brave sisters who snuck out on their father's boat in June 1940 and may or may not have heroically rescued British soldiers evacuating by the hundreds of thousands from the Battle of Dunkirk. So, Alan, Their Finest is a movie about a lot of things. Uh, it is a movie about women entering traditionally male workplaces during World War II. It's about the random kind of violent disruptions and uncertainties of wartime, um, about unlikely heroes, and maybe most of all about the magic of movies to divert one's attention, to cheer one's spirits, and to aspire one to strive to accomplish seemingly impossible goals. Um, there's much talk during the movie about how the British propaganda pictures have to be authentic. They have to be authentic and optimistic, and they must have a dog. I love uh, that. I love that line. <laughs> their finest indisputably has a dog. Um, but did you find it to be authentic and inspiring as well, or op- uh, authentic and optimistic as well? I, I did all of the above. I thought I thought it was wonderful. Uh, you know, maybe because I slept well, uh, I I just was so open to to uh, everything this movie was doing. Um, uh, is from the the palette of the film. I don't usually respond to color um, in in movies, but boy, there there was some. I was trying to remember the movie that this reminded me of. Uh, I guess because in this film there are lots of scenes of of movie making and the two the two. I guess they're twins, are they? The the sisters have little rosy cheeks and red makeup. And it, the it, movie it, versions of the sisters. The movie two, we see yeah. the real life versions. Right. And the this movie is a versions, movie within right? a movie, and so it and it and it's full of inside movie making business, which is one of the great pleasures. I recommend this movie highly to anybody who ever wants to write a script 
and get involved because um, at at every point of uh, the script um, up to the very end, when Winston Churchill calls the, the basically the screenwriters in and said, "We got to put an American in here because we need uh, the U.S. to declare war and come to our aid." Uh, so they have to rewrite the whole thing and stick an American in. But he turns out to be such a terrible actor. They wonder if they should make him a mute or a priest. And how can they get an American to Dunkirk? So they um, make him a reporter. And, they, <laughs> and then he's and then he's so terrible. They have to do voiceover. And all this stuff is done with such um, aplomb and such seamlessness. So, I mean, of all the things that the movie does, I think I think the the uh, the making of a movie, what a script is. Um, it's really a, a pan, uh, P-A-E-N, to, to movie making. And um, yes, it's uh, authoritative. It knows the movie making very well. To me, one of the magic things about this film, which I really adored, is that it has all these balls in the air, movie making, the blitz, romance, um, gender issues, you know, because women are like in that wonderful um, image of we can do it. You know, the, 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 the film begins actually with black and white footage of uh, women making bullets uh, in the arms factories. And there's a great line where the sort of, um, uh, I, I guess the closest to the, to the feminist character, the, uh, almost a gay character, the script supervisor lady, she's always wearing a tie. Oh, I think she, she is. Right. Uh, she she yeah, has this she, wonderful she, line, honey, mm-hmm. you know, life is so precious. Don't waste it being sad. And, and especially enjoy what you're doing because when this war is over the men will put us back in a box so let me let me stop right there actually Love it. Could so you it's all there put the mic a bit close you're drifting a little bit but it's all um, there. So hi lucy lucy we saw this movie a couple weeks ago i so i saw it first in toronto back in september and then we saw and it, we, it and i loved it and you we saw it. it again a couple weeks ago and and i loved it a second time but you had i think a bit more of a uh complicated reaction to the or maybe ambivalent reaction to this movie Was than alan did and ambivalent? i <laughs> or did I just hate it? So I think I, I love it. We're Tom. We we are the feminists in this crowd. Well, I think this but, raises the question of oh, what no. are we? Did we respond to this because it, are this we misinterpreting feminist its feminism? This so is, I think that like we can feminism light. Maybe. So I think we're going to have fun talking about the supporting cast and characters in this movie because so much of the joy comes from. Are you at three? Yeah. I think so, so. much of the joy. Com- Do you want to go to four because that sure. mic works better? Yeah. Oh, I hear myself. Um, so much of the fun comes from watching the movie being made and all of the different kind of characters and personalities that ne- need to be corralled. But uh, yeah, t- tell tell me and Alan and the listeners your kind of initial response to it and maybe your hesitations around its purportedly feminist inclinations. Oh, I, I just didn't like it. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> Did you go to four, Lizzie? I, sure. Well, I hope there'll be more than that. I'm, uh, I'm switching mics for all those listeners out there. Um. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wasn't super into it. Tom, I think the reason why you liked it is because this is a movie about the art of movie making. And in that way, it was really interesting. Um, but I, I so have an issue with sort of this very stereotypical uh, gender relationship that we see over and over. So first we see it with the woman and her husband, and that who is not really her husband. Spoiler alert. And then we see it with the woman and uh, and her colleague. And perhaps I thought that was more um, sort of more disruptive than anything else in my enjoyment of the film. So I love the costumes. I, you know, if I could have any job in the world, I think it would be dramaturg. 
And in that way, I love the costumes. I love the period. And um, and I'm very interested in things around World War II. And so kind of discussions that we have around World War II and the stories that we tell around history. However, uh, kind of this idea that like your colleague uh, who's kind of smarmy is someone that you might end up with because he's another guy and he's talented and you're a woman and you're talented. It's just, I, I really resist that. So what you're, de- what you're describing is, I mean, this is a romantic comedy and drama. So I think Which that I, I had, don't a, like. so I think I had a bit more of a tolerance for this kind of workplace unlikely romance because it kind of fits within the my like generic expectations of what is going to happen within a romance but i also i think that in i um i don't know how qualified i am to say whether this is like an effective feminist movie or not but i don't think that she the main character debases herself in any way in terms of how she handles her relationships and certainly the movie pushes her towards a position of independence um by the end of it as opposed to a uh, a kind of reliance upon someone she's both professionally and personally attracted to. I mean, this is, a, as Alan was saying, this is a screenwriter's movie, right? And so yeah. we have to believe that the characters fall in love because of the words coming out of their mouths as much as because they just kind of swoon for someone who happens to be in the workplace. And I think that this movie is is sharply enough written, um, he let fall, alone he fa- enjoyably enough. Right, he falls in love with her, I think, in great part uh, because he admires her talent as a writer. Mm-hmm. That that's first and foremost. But uh, I I find that overly saccharine, Alan. I mm-hmm. I just I wasn't into it. And as soon as I saw that this was going to happen, which you can sort of see from a mile away, I thought, oh no, how can I navigate my exit route, you know, <laughs> in this theater and uh, and just sit outside and read a book for the remaining hour and a half of the movie. So the predictability was the issue for you? Yeah, I didn't like the predictability. I don't like, you know, if I want to see a rom-com, I'll, I don't know, I'll, I'll well, watch something but, but else. I also remember you were quite upset by the decision that the movie makes towards the end in the way that it eliminates the the romantic, oh, the male romantic I was lead. just sad that he died. I mean, <laughs> like, he was really fun to look at. And by that point, I was so over the movie that I felt like it, like just looking at his his bespectacled face was maybe the only redeeming characteristic of can this I, film. Can I dig a little deeper here, Lucy? So uh, 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 you, Lucy's saying that she likes to look at the guy character on the screen, well, who was very handsome. I mean, I have to say, so Alan, Alan, and Tom, you are absolutely right that the characters fall, and they don't even fall into into love with each other. It's more of kind of a relationship of mutual dependency. That is largely predicated Mutual admiration. on admiration. It's admiration, a, it's admiration, but also also based on the fact that this war is going on, and so there's kind of a desperation that clings to everything in the movie. So yes, they fall into like with each other, oh, if well, you will. Why because should that be of criticized? It's, Lucy, it's the Battle of Britain. That's right. the whole point. But, that no, it's no, no. Like a, but they they fall into they're interested in one another, sure, because of the words that each other is is writing, and that's very sweet. But also, they are beautiful humans, right? You you see this over and over and over again on the screen. You're not going to put ugly people in a movie and have them fall in love with each other in a romantic comedy about World War II. It's just not going to happen. So, Alan, this is one of my favorite parts about... It must fun. be hard this what, is... going to the movies with Lucy Gelman, Tom Breen. <laughs> Actually, I find her sort of not all that attractive. I find her kind of uh, on, this English. Is, her, this isn't a eating... conversation. I mean, I don't oh, want to talk so about the relative beautiful. attractiveness. They're not she's eating very, very well. They have few vegetables. But I do want to say... Unlike one of my... here in New Haven. 
even. My favorite parts, teeth. one of my favorite parts about this movie is the way that it establishes these kind of parallel storylines between what's happening in the quote unquote real world and what's happening within the kind of artificial movie that exactly. they're creating. And then you that, see the real world appear on the screen or inspire what happens in the next phase of the script. That's one of the, and it's handled, handled seamlessly. I also would say that we're, 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 when, the, when the love interest dies three quarters of the way through the film in a bombing, which, by the way, uh, it, these are handled, even though it's a, it's a dramedy, as you put it, it's handled with uh, including the identification of a body earlier um, uh, with a kind of uh, a realistic grisliness that, that I think is impressive. But that's a great plot turn. For, for the love interest to die. It's a huge he, plot But turn. he doesn't die in a bombing. He, so di- he I, dies when a piece of equipment falls. And it, oh, as no, a result I mean, of I mean, a bombing. No, I don't think it is. Oh, yes. I, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's it's this happenstance kind of thing that reflects. So, Alan, as, as you said, there is this sort of parallel storytelling going on. So that that moment reflects a moment earlier in the play when this character who actually is killed says, I can't believe this 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 soldier was home on holiday and he was hit by a trolley car. How, how can you die? So, um, so for, and it, it didn't mean anything, right? So, it was sort of unceremoniously. And, and so, uh, yes, I, I guess I appreciated the parallel structure, but even that, I mean, I felt like I was being fed cinematic mush for this entire movie. Mm. Well, Whoa. I, so but by the way, Lucy, that, that it's incorrect. I mean, th- there were three or four instances of bombings, both which we see on the screen and we hear about the agent, for example, was killed when he was working late. Uh, and we that's reference several times. Uh, the guy, I forget the guy's name. Is it uh, is it Sam uh, Claflin who plays the, Buckley? Is Buckley. The character's he, name. he he works late. She worries about him and she works late. And uh, several times they look up uh, and the plaster is falling down. I think one of the ways that the making a movie theme and the Battle of Britain love theme is uh, is linked it's the script writer as soldier, the script writer there enduring the bombing as much as the soldier, a soldier from the home front, from right? the home That's front. The, yeah. And, and in fact, um, uh, there is a, the, where he di- he dies at when a piece of equipment is loosened as a result of a nearby bomb. So I think, I mean, I don't want to get too bogged down on whether or not like the plot went this way or that. I think it's more ambiguous actually than either. I think that, um, it could. Th- we certainly see plenty of scenes in which uh, the bombing of Britain is disrupting daily life, but also I could see it working within the context of movie. Just a completely kind of random freak accident, like happen all the time in war, suddenly takes someone who was in your life one minute and then they're out of. Because regardless of whether or not it was caused by a bomb, I mean they're in the context of the the studio set. And so when you say that this is the screenwriter as soldier, you're right, the studio set becomes an extension of the battlefield because every single place that these people are working in all of a sudden becomes a place of, of life and death, not just one of kind of emotional kind of inspiration and, and optimism and authenticity. We can't end this conversation without talking a little bit about some of the other actors and actresses and crew members because Bill Nighy as oh Ambrose gosh. Hilliard so gives perhaps the most enjoyable performance he is so good. of, he, of he, anyone. He steals the show uh, along actually with uh, with uh, the script supervisor lady. Whenever she's on, she's uh, those. That's it, one of the great things about it is that it's it's a great ensemble. 
It, yeah, it is. But also, it's, I mean, the movie's structure parallels that of the the kind of production schedule for a movie. We have like a pre-production section. We have a production section. We have this post-production section, right? We have actors learning their lines. We have struggling with the different mats and like sets to imitate the Battle of and, Dunkirk. And it, and it culminates in the screenwriter after But she it's never got... distracting, right? It's oh. always, it's elements of the central kind of romance and kind of self-realization. There, there's not a mistake in the characters. movie, I don't think. Lucy, do you, Sorry, a couple Lucy. a couple weeks out. I mean, I I'm tr- what I was trying to get at with my first question to you is, is this you pushing back against the genre of romantic comedy, yes. or do you think that this particular movie does something no. particularly egregious? No, no, it's a, it's a fine movie. I I think partly I'm pushing back against the genre, but also to me the movie felt like it didn't do anything particularly innovative, and so maybe that's what I'm pushing back against. I thought that this was going to be an entirely different film when I walked into it and what I found was uh, that, that it was something that I felt I had seen before. And I, I think whenever I feel that way, I'm a little bit let down and that let down, uh, especially when left to uh, sort of for me to cogitate over turns into maybe a little bit of anger and frustration. See, I think it's totally different expectation. I think that's really interesting because my expectation when I go to a movie is not necessarily to see something completely new, but maybe that's one aspect of it, but I certainly want to see something done really well. That's right. And when it, you go to a fashion show, I think you want to see something new. <laughs> but when you, go, when you go to a movie... Zing! <laughs> when you go to a movie, uh, it seems to me that one of the things that you want to see, uh, just like when you read a novel, I think you want to see that the, mo- that the movie makers um, have seen other movies. Um, uh, and... Uh, that they know the form. They're familiar they know with the form. And this is, this is an homage to previous films in the exact same way that La La Land is a kind of homage to the mu- musicals that preceded <laughs> also it. Also a terrible <laughs> Now that movie, movie is a difficult movie. Possibly the worst movie <laughs> yeah, of 2016, yeah. well, Alan. But the palette of that film is interesting. I thought of La La Land immediately. I don't usually respond to, to cinema palettes, but... But I was somewhat in your. But this, this, this in response to your first question, that's what remind me the, the makeup of the twins and. I'm afraid that's that's we're actually we're out of time. That's what no. we're going to have to. Enjoy. I know, but I think that with the palette, you're completely. And I think what accentuates that that palette is the again that parallel line between the movie, the artificial movie, and then the quote unquote reality. And that when we see the movie, it's all these soft focuses, like everyone is kind of glazed in this beautiful uh, kind of grayish whitish light. Um, if we learn anything from this movie, I want to say that. Impotent men have limbs. Say that again. Remember the character? It's like, talk about the genre, like fulfilling its stereotype, like the dude who can't keep the the main character happy. Um, has a limb oh, that is oh, this oh, like artist. Is this, the artist. He's an artist. <laughs> oh, that's sort so, of like out of Lady Chatterley's Lover right. or something. And we have a, a dog that outlives its master and makes everyone happy because of it. Oh, um, authenticity, <laughs> optimism, and a pooch. <laughs> um, Lucy, are you convinced or no? No, skip this movie. Go see Hell Caesar and make yourself a bowl of popcorn. This is one of the great date movies of all time. (laughs) That's what I thought. My date date didn't approve. Thank you so much for seeing this movie and for chatting about it, Alan and Lucy. And we will catch up with you next week on another episode of Deep Focus.